You're in business because you have an idea, a spark, a passion, and it's your gift. It's the one that you have and you're bringing it to the world. I know it isn't easy and it requires commitment. You have to learn both the mechanics and leave room for the magic every day in your business. And I'm here for you to help you make a profit. I'm Don Kennedy, your host of the Profit Accelerator Podcast. I'm an attorney, author, mentor, and CEO of a growing coffee company. I'm in this with you every single day. Thanks for joining me on the show that looks at all aspects of business from the mindset to the sales to the money left over at the end of the month with tips and strategies to help you navigate this amazing ride called entrepreneurship. Thanks for making us part of your journey. Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Profit Accelerated Podcast. I am so excited to bring today's guest because we are going to be talking all things product-led, and this is somebody who's solving a problem, has grown tremendously, and has just an excellent story. So I want to introduce to you, Ryan. How are you, Ryan? Thanks for joining me. Uh, Thanks for having me, Don. I'm looking forward to uh, having a chat. So tell everyone who you are and who you serve. Yeah, so my name's Ryan Margolin. Um, we have a company called Professional Hair Labs, and historically, we've served individuals who have lost their hair through hereditary means or, or health issues, you know, such as cancer, where they've had chemo. Uh, so we develop products uh, for them to use on their scalp to treat their scalp and also wear their hair pieces or wigs. Uh, that's that's been us for the last, you know, twenty years. Uh, we've since moved into a space where we're manufacturing a, a higher level or a more wide level of cosmetics, uh, such as body care, skin care, more hair care products. So it's really diversified and, and opened you know, the doors to, to serve a, a larger amount of people and bringing the same principles and methodologies that we've used to grow our business uh, you know, just into a deeper space in the cosmetic industry. I love that. So I do need you to share to everybody listening how you got started because your story is phenomenal. Yeah, well, well I, I grew up, both, both of my parents worked growing up. Uh, my mother was a master hair technician. My dad was a businessman. Um, they opened up a hair studio uh, in, in New Jersey, in New York. And over a period of, uh, you know, a couple of years, they, they decided they wanted to relocate down to Florida. And that's where I grew up for most of my life or most of my younger life anyway. And after a period of time, my mom got chemical poisoning from the products that she was using. They were, you know, chemical-based solutions that contained uh, toluene, xylene, hexane. Uh, and over a period of time, regardless of how well the place was ventilated or the, uh, the you know, the careful uh, approach that was taken of use, um, she became sick. And uh, she's okay now, but uh, it did force her into early retirement. And my dad sold the business then and went to uh, went into a space of focusing on a, on a product line that was safe for technicians and safe for the hair wearers, because predominantly the industry, the hair replacement industry was so small that it wasn't governed, say, by the FDA or anything. And the manufacturers making the products could get away with pretty much anything they wanted to. So with that product line, uh, which was launched kind of in 1994, uh, for the next, say, you know, 15 years, it it functioned. It, it was it was really good, and it helped people solve a problem. And education was the key to getting that message out there. And what happened then in 2009 was the base product line had always been there, but 
we could never truly get the functionality from the product we wanted to, which was water and oil resistance. Because naturally, if you're wearing a hairpiece, you know, sweat and oils, they, you know, they come off of the scalp and it does penetrate the bond and it breaks it down. And, it, you know, and then the, the wigger, the hairpiece comes loose. So in 2009, we were able to acquire some ingredients that allowed us to go back to the drawing board and redevelop the product the way we wanted. And we launched to the market in 2009 with our Ghost Bond brand. And that product revolutionized the hair replacement industry. It showed people there was a different way to do things. It showed them there was a safer way to do things. And it also showed them that, you know, aside from all the companies that were supplying in that industry, you know, there was one that actually cared about the safety of, of the technician and also the hairware. So that's where our journey started and uh, where we started to really experience exponential growth. So, yeah, let's talk about your growth, because from everything I was reading, you guys have just blown away all of your projections over the years. Yeah, um, we we have. And you know what? You know, in some years, you know, we've, we've tripled, uh, you know, other years we've doubled. Um, it really depends, you know, kind of where we're at on the journey now is. You know, we have such a deep market penetration in the industry we're in because it's so niche that now the the real challenge for us is diversification and trying to take that market share in, in the general cosmetic space, um, which we're successfully starting to do uh, month by month on month. Really, um, you know, we're by the acquisition of more machinery, uh, more space, um, you know, more people to help us on the team, more experienced people to help us move in the right direction. So it, it's really been. It's really been a case of at the core of all this growth. I think it really can be attributed to just uh, you know making sure that you're you're thinking about your moves before you're making them. But mindset was a huge thing. You know, making sure you're developing yourself as a person to put yourself in the position to run the company that you want to have. Yeah. So we we need to probably dip in a little bit to the past and help. A lot of listeners here are within maybe the first five years of business. Some might be eight to ten. How did you get started in when did you start doing that self-help or the self-development? And, you know, how fast did you put this stuff together to make it so that you could grow? Yeah, for, for myself, I mean, I, I really started focusing on my own self-development over 10 years ago, uh, probably even a little bit more. And it was from, you know, I, I was kind of learning. I, I, I kind of learned quite quickly that if you want to write your own story, you can't really let someone else hold the pen. And I think when you take control of the direction you want to go, uh, very quickly, you'll find out that it becomes not about, you know, the mission of the company directing you or the people in the company directing you. It turns then and flips to you directing the vision of the company. And naturally, what will happen is, you know, everyone will start to follow suit because that's, uh, you know, you positioned yourself as the person who is growing. You positioned yourself as the person who is learning, constantly uh, taking from the fails and from the successes and figuring out where you need to go next. So without that, I suppose a company doesn't have someone at the helm or, you know, a leader to provide that leadership to the team, too. And uh, what I found over the years is that, you know, it's always good if you have a strong team, but ultimately somebody needs to be leading the vision. Yeah, let's talk about how your vision has evolved, let's say, over the last 10, 15 years. Year on year, you see more potential. You see more room for growth in different areas that you, you know, that you can move into. And, I, I you know, look, I, I think at its core, you know, when when you look at the, the vision itself, it becomes not so much about the business and the products you sell or the solutions you provide, it becomes it becomes more about the people around you. 
And as you start to focus in on the people around you and help them to achieve what you see is possibly the best version of themselves, it brings out the best in them and it makes them realize that, look, you know, I can achieve uh, so much more than maybe either I had initially thought or so much more than I've ever been in a position to contribute. Because ultimately, at the end of the day, no single person can give the answer for anything. You know, it needs to be a team effort. So now going forward, you're moving into the more mainstream cosmetic space. As you're changing kind of the direction or the, the customers that you're serving, what kind of challenges are you facing? Uh, we're facing a lot of different challenges. I mean, look, ever since COVID, there's been supply issues. There's been uh, logistics issues in terms of, uh, you know, the, the, the rising cost of acquiring product and getting it shipped from different parts of the world. We're experiencing new compliance requirements uh, in different parts of the world. Now, fortunately for us, we chose to uh, base our principal formulation uh, location in, in Ireland, in Europe, simply because from a cosmetics perspective, it has one of the most stringent uh, compliance requirements in the, in the planet. So when you follow their uh, guidelines and when you follow you know, their rules, typically you find in most places in the world, you're, you're, you're already compliant. So there's never really too many hurdles there. Um, but from a cosmetics perspective, it's about constantly changing the ingredients as you know, new directives are handed down from, from the different governing bodies and then reformulating the products to make sure that they're still retaining the performance, um, but they're moving in the direction which you're, you're being you know, regulated to do. I have some manufacturers on here, some product-led businesses who are also kind of in the early startup phases. Can you talk a little bit about, I would say, your rhythm of manufacturing, production, packaging, shipping? How did you develop your rhythm? And then what are the steps that are involved there? We we really refer to our, our, our pipeline as a product development pipeline. And uh, we started by making a ton of mistakes, um, you know, not necessarily putting things in the right order and slowing down the process, say, from, say, 12 weeks to, you know, to 24 weeks. Uh, but right now we have a refined to a really simple entry level process, which is uh, sit with the client, have a, you know in-depth conversation about the product they want to bring to the market, what their ideas for it are, what type of performance features they want, uh, maybe like the scent or a color. And when we build that marketing brief, we then bring that to our lab where, where our chemists work and we start to formulate um, a development product. And naturally that then goes through our pipeline is delivered to the customer for testing. They provide feedback or not, maybe they're happy with it on the first time. And then we start to move on to the second phase, which is the development of, you know, I suppose the legal parts of, of, of the product. Cause naturally, and even through our experience, you want the customers who are working with you to make sure that they're protected from all angles. So taking from our experience of the challenges that we went through specifically around counterfeits, we bring them through the legal process, such as, you know, trademarks and making sure you have the domains registered in the right locations and their brand fully protected. And then once that is done, we start to look at, you know, or sorry, in, in alignment with that process, we start to look at the packaging so we can get a head start and make sure if it's custom packaging, we can get it ordered in on time to align with the ingredients arriving that we don't already have in-house. So it moves into the sales process from then, you know, we, we start to help them with the marketing and the media material and uh, giving them the, the key performance and benefits of the product so they can kind of take that to their team and say, hey, listen, you know, we need to get our site launched or we need our brochures done, et cetera, et cetera. And at that point, then, you know, we're, we're, it's just a waiting game. The ingredients start to arrive and we have a production plan 
And when the ingredients arrives, we know exactly the moment we start production, we know we have a very strict deadline to, to the point where it gets filled, packaged and shipped. All in all, um, if it's a base formulation of ours, we've been able to refine it from a 16 week process down to a four week process. But if it's a true custom formula, you're really looking at about 12 weeks now. And I think that's pretty much the best you're going to get out of a custom formula uh, timeline in today's day and age, because right now, uh, raw materials, ingredients are a struggle to get a hold of. And really what it comes down to in most cases is the manufacturers who have the buying power um, to buy up lots of it are getting the first allocation of, of shipments that come into these uh, to, to these manufacturers. So, uh, or wholesalers, whatever, whoever you're doing business with, um, you know, it, it, right now it doesn't matter. Manufacturers are backed up, wholesalers are backed up, distributors are backed up, everyone's backed up. And, um, you know, you just have to be a little bit more clever about the type of products that you're developing and what the really key ingredients for those are. And you need to go deep on those ingredients because you'll be able to then quickly turn around uh, a new product in in a decent timeline. Right. And so as you are doing this for, you know, other companies as well as your own, talk to me a little bit about that whole process of making sure that you are still getting your own stuff to market. So I do actually have two people I'm thinking about that manufacture white label for other people who are or customers. Um, you know, how do you do that? How are you getting into your I guess your rhythm, you must be big enough that you have a team of your own that does your stuff and then a team that does their stuff. Yeah, you're 100% right. But it wasn't always like that. And and really what it comes down to is resource allocation. Obviously, you have a certain amount of time in the day uh, and you have a certain amount of you know resources at your disposal, whether it's yourself or whether it's, you know, a couple of team members. Right now we have, so we have our own brand, we have private label, we have custom formula, you know, for contract manufacturing, et cetera. Um, Fortunately for us now, we have teams that can focus on uh, all three of those channels. So we have different processes for those that, that run nice and smooth, but moving back to when we didn't have that there, there was, there was a lot of, um, you know, there was a lot of tension points there because, you didn't always have the resources to uh, to 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 work with that. So in cases like that, uh, we would literally set out uh, temporary uh, employees to come in and we would give a per unit cost on each bottle that was filled rather than a daily rate. Because what you're doing then is you're ensuring that you're you're sticking, you're, you're holding your margins and retaining your margins. And then if somebody comes in and accepts the, you know, the job for the period of time, they have clarity on you know what they're getting and what the expectation level is. So if somebody produces or hand fills, say eight hundred bottles during the day, um, you know they they know exactly what they're getting. Whereas you know if you were paying them a daily rate, um, you might only get five hundred bottles a day, and you would lose your margin then on the product. So it is a bit of a balance. You you have to kind of think a little bit outside of the box when you're when you're a small team and you're offering multiple services. But for us, we found that that was the key thing to make sure no matter what position we were in at that point, um, we had to just basically offer a per unit uh, cost on each bottle filled. Yeah. So it sounds like the business decisions you were making were retaining margin, of course, and then also, um, you know, increasing capacity as soon as possible. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was. Yeah. Increasing. I mean, everyone wants to increase capacity as much as possible, but unfortunately, there's only two ways to do that. And that's either through more resources or automation. Automation costs a lot of money. So realistically, you you get to a point to where 
you uh, you start to realize, okay, I have 10 products in you know our current pipeline that we're constantly producing. So what you do then is you look at your resources of how many people that are doing it at the moment versus what the potential output on automating that process would be through a filling line. And, you know, there is there is times where, you know, there there is financial strain, um, especially if you're investing in that type of equipment. But for me uh, and my experience, when you get to that point of being able to automate the process, you know, you have a set amount of people uh, on that pretty much the same as what you were doing manually but you'll be able to have a much higher output. And that's really how you scale with cosmetics in my eyes. That's how we've done it. Um, you know, look, I, I've spoken to other you know, manufacturers and some in the cosmetic space where they would have a different approach. You know, they'd go straight to a bank, um, you know, get a, you know, finance a ton of money. Um, and then they'd bury themselves in debt, you know, for the next, you know, 20, 30 years. And look, they, they'd leverage it correctly. Don't get me wrong. But um, it's, you know, it, it's a risk that we decided not to take. We, you know, we saw that there was a different way to do things and get it to where we want it to be. And that's the, the, the route we choose. Right. Yeah. We do talk on this podcast and I do talk with clients about that balance between putting too much liability on your business, especially when we have things like pandemics hit, you know, things that are beyond our control that may uh, affect our ability to stay in business and to keep people employed. So uh, absolutely yeah. understand and respect that you didn't want to do it that way. Yeah. And you know, it had, had we done it that way, when COVID did hit, we would have found ourselves in a very precarious position because in the U.S., we, we have our distribution facility in the U.S. where, you know, we supply U.S., Canada, uh, Mexico, Puerto Rico from. And there was no directives handed down during COVID where, you know, businesses had to shut down in our areas, fortunately. But in Ireland, we were faced with a different scenario. We were deemed a non-essential service. So we were facing the risk of closing our doors for three months plus. And for me, that just wasn't an option because when that happens, it means you have to unfortunately let people go. Um, people then go from having a job one day to having nothing the next. And that's not the, the that's not the environment that 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 I like to you know operate in and I don't like for other people. So as a team, we collectively put our heads together and we did pretty much what solves most problems is we did the simplest thing. We went to find a solution that was uh, required in in you know in COVID times. Uh, which was hand sanitizer. So within 24 hours, we formulated a product. Uh, we started to make it. And through our own network and our distribution channels, uh, we sold a ton of hand sanitizer because there was a shortage. And we were able to keep our doors open uh, legally. And then, you know, we, we were able to make sure that, that we could cover our overheads. People could stay in a job, get paid, and we can still operate safely. Uh, so, you know, it requires sometimes those, those challenging situations require outside thinking. But if we would have had finance on all that, we would have just been falling behind, you know, month on month. I mean, it took us quite a while to get our feet back after COVID. Um, and that's without any financing or, 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 or loans. So uh, I can only imagine what people who had, you know, large amounts owed to banks and, and, and different institutions, what, what pressures they faced uh, over the last couple of years. Yeah. And it's interesting that your eyes were open. You made that immediate pivot to keep your doors open. And I think having that flexibility and that mindset of flexibility um, can be really critical in a product-led business. 
Yeah, well, you, you have to change and you have to move fast because markets mature. And, you know, if you create something innovative, it's not going to be too long before somebody's going to create a variation behind you. So um, it does require a lot of pivoting. And they, typically manufacturing does. You know, you're always looking for ways through, you know, your lean processes to improve productivity, to improve, you know, um, you know, output. Uh, and and overall, I suppose, for the company, improve profitability because, Ultimately, that's what drives the reinvestment back into growing. Yeah. So you have taken this, it sounds like, multiple ways from your original formulation to you know making a safer product for people to be able to use all the way now into these international markets for cosmetics. What are your top three tips for other people who are starting businesses, maybe not in the cosmetic industry, but other product-led uh, businesses or things where they're doing their own manufacturer? What are the top things that you can tell people to think about or keep in the back of their minds as they're making their business decisions? I I, I would just say, look, for me, it comes down to a few key simple things. And, you know, the, the, some of them are not really business related. They're more mindset related and personally related. Um, I need to be able to put my head on the pillow and like knowing that I've done the best and I've done the most ethical thing that, that you know, that I can uh, on a daily basis. Um, you know, sometimes you find in situations where, there might be a bit of pressure or a bit of strain. Um, you know, people in uh, pivotal points of companies make decisions that might not be, uh, you know, the most legal or the most ethical way to do things. And I mean, you know, you could talk about ingredient changes for products uh, without, you know, customers knowing there's there's a whole ton of different things. So I think ultimately as a business owner, if you can put your head on a pillow at night, sleep comfortably knowing you've done the best you could on that day, I think that's a key thing. Uh, the second thing is, is that uh, communication. I think from if you're not a good communicator or you're a highly focused individual who loves to just, you know, get a task in front of them and get things done, you have to be able to learn to do that while also keeping an open line of communication with, with, with the executive team or your team members, because ultimately without those, you might have the clear outcomes in your head, but if your team don't, it's going to be an absolute mess. Uh, and then thirdly, you know, I, I think from from a business perspective, I think you just always have to keep an eye on your cash flow. I mean, it's a really um, it's a really common thing. And just make sure you're not going too deep on, you know, uh, on material purchases that are going to put strain uh, on you if somebody's product line maybe slows down a little bit. So th there's always that balance as well. Um, so, yeah, from a personal perspective, it's just. It's just make sure you're doing the right thing. And from a business perspective, it's just keep an eye on, on the figures on a, on a monthly basis. And I think anybody listening, no matter what business they're in, the idea that you have to have good ethics, good communication and solid cash flow. I mean, that is just business advice that anybody can use. Yeah. And, and I tried to keep it as general as possible there. But I mean, if you even if you you know look at you know from a reputation perspective i mean you could spend 20 years building a reputation and it literally only takes in in this day and age one wrong move to absolutely destroy it so you know when you kind of think like that it it forces you to think a little bit differently yeah that is so important thank you so much for joining me here today how can people find your products how can they find out about you and you know maybe learn a little bit more about your company yeah, so you can go to our website. It's prohairlabs.com. We're also on all major social media channels, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok. Um, my main hangout is LinkedIn. You can just search for me on LinkedIn and you'll, you'll find me through the search engine. Uh, and that's really, yeah, really about it. Great. So we're going to put the links down inside the show notes here so that you can just click a link and you can go straight to the website. 
And thank you so much for taking the time to share your wisdom with us. I mean, really appreciate it. Thanks, Don. I appreciate it. It's been fun. Well, we'll talk to you next time on the next episode of the Profit Accelerator Podcast. Take care. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Profit Accelerator Podcast. If you want some more information about me or free resources, please visit my updated website, donkkennedy.com. Follow me on social at donkkennedyxo on Instagram and on Facebook at donkkennedymentor. I'll see you next time.